0: Ron Douglas is an associate professor at the University of Missouri in Columbia in the College of Education. Professor Douglas is a well-regarded scholar and he's a leader in academic circles at the University of Missouri and throughout the country and internationally. But Dr. Douglas is known for a lot more as well. He is someone who does many things and does them well. He is a community leader, he's a father, he's a husband, he's a pastor, he is a former athlete who still stays involved with athletics. That's just to name a few. He is a man of great creativity and skill and and is truly one of my favorite people to speak with and learn from. Over the years I've got to know Professor Douglas in professional circles and have just come to deeply admire and respect him. As you'll hear in this Sport and the Growing Good podcast episode, Dr. Douglas is really adept at talking about the complexities of sport and and how sport serves great purpose and meaning beyond just competition. He makes a great comparison to growing up in Bermuda where he was an athlete and, and he talks about the lessons he learned through sport, but also about some of the lessons he learned and the relationships he developed in other places. I thought one especially interesting story he told and some examples he provided related to the barber shop he went to as a child and all throughout growing up and the relationship he formed with his barber, in a lot of ways the example he provided of his barber in Bermuda paralleled the relationship that a lot of young people have with their coaches. He talked about that relationship as one that went on for many years, a a long-lasting relationship, and someone who was consistent in his life. I thought that was a really wonderful example to hear from Ty. I'm going to provide one other highlight that I found from the interview. I thought there were so many, actually two other highlights, because there was so much in this that I drew from Dr. Douglas. Um, He talked about one of the biggest challenges that a lot of our coaches identify is that they become overwhelmed and overly stressed and sometimes even burnt out from their life of coaching because it's such a demanding profession. And I asked him about that because he's a scholar who has done so many things and has so many roles and can be so busy. I asked him about kind of life balance issues and he talked about the importance of staying authentic to who he is in every Part of his life and of integrating his various roles um, rather than trying to balance them and had just really great insights about that. And then the w- last thing I'll say that I found to be just a great highlight from Ty's comments were some of the final remarks he made in the interview where he talked about overcoming difficult times and when when feeling broken he, he had a great phrase, I won't use it now, but he, he uses it in the interview about when when experiencing very difficult times, how to, how to get through them and how he has gotten through them and he has a lot of wisdom to share for, for our coaches. So I've given a longer introduction than normal and I think that's partially because of what a rich interview this was and how much I've respected Ty over the years and drew from him in this interview. So thank you. Dr. Tyron Douglas for joining us on the Sport and the Growing Good Podcast. Ty, I've so much enjoyed our, our conversations over the years. And we we initially have met kind of in professional circles, you know, in in being professors and educational leadership, but you are a man who does much more than just that. And I know one aspect of your identity, which I still don't know a ton about, is your your background as a as a young athlete and and a young person who did much more than just academics. Were there adults in your young life who kind of impacted your initial journey? And and what what were the kind of key junctures and the key people
1: that helped you develop into this multifaceted successful person that you are now? Sure, well first, thank you for having me on. It's always good to be able to spend time with you. Um, You know, I was born and raised in Bermuda, Uh, And so in Bermuda, you know, uh, we typically exchange uh, basketball and American football for soccer and cricket. (laughs) Uh, And so I grew up as an avid soccer player, avid cricketer. Actually, I was was pretty good. Um, I had some goals and visions to be the best cricketer in Bermuda. Um, And as a part of that, you know, we have something called Cup Match in Bermuda. It's actually a two-day holiday. Anyone who's looking for a great vacation spot... Uh, at the end of july or beginning of august we have a two-day cricket match that we actually shut down the hill country for and it's like our world series and uh, i had desires of playing that like any bermudian boy um as someone who grew up uh, observing uh, the the sabbath uh, from friday night sunset to saturday night sunset that also meant that um i I couldn't participate in the trials to be able to make the cup match team And so as a young visionary my goal was to be so great in cricket that they would select me without even having to play uh, on Sabbath. That was my goal. Um, And I was on that path Um, through elementary school. I was on that path. High school, though, I I got an injury um, to my shoulder. But more than that, you know, I just think I experienced Pete uh, in sport what I think a lot of young people experience in academics. Like, I hit this ceiling. I can't quite explain it. I was gifted. I literally was. And I was the kid who, like, I was in the mirror training and preparing. You know, I would have the ball on a string, and I was, like, attentive to detail. And um, and and I was good at it, but I just think there were some things that sort of hindered uh, a breakthrough in sport that um, that I believe many people experience in school. Um, but I was also blessed to have the opportunity to be ac- an, an, an academic Uh, student who felt uh, supported in that regard for the most part and so I felt like I had options and so I had a a village of people around me people like my dad who raised me who uh, poured into me uh, people I had an uncle who was very supportive I had coaches in my neighborhood I had um, even my barber right so I mean I write about community-based spaces like you and I write about those spaces from a very authentic place, uh, having a, someone who, who, my barber, who literally like flew to my PhD graduation. I mean, this this was, this was more than a barber, this is a mentor. And so from these different people in my community, um, I've had the opportunity to learn from observation what it looks like to serve and to support those around you, you know? My barber was a person who, um, you know, if there was a person who was homeless, uh, who came into the barber shop and guys would snicker and laugh. People like, hey, no, that's that's not funny. That's you know, you don't know how he got there. And he would, you know, let someone even sleep in the shop if they had to. And so from him, I actually learned how to be a teacher. Um now with all due respect, Pete, my my hairline is still hanging in. I'm I'm hanging in there, right? But you know, for those who, you know, may have experienced a little bit of the regression process and I'm I'm battling, I'm hanging in, I promise, but it's it, it's it's tough some days. <laughs> um, you know, oh, I, I you, hear if you're like me, you you know <laughs>
0: You save money and not having to go to the barber,
1: but you yeah. have to those social connections. that <laughs> you Listen, listen, a barbershop and especially a black barber shop, is more than just a haircut. It's a community. It's an educational space. Right. And so, you know, I'm a former English teacher, high school, middle school English teacher. And I actually learned uh, about how to facilitate a, a, a literacy lesson, if you will, from my barber, who I learned later on in life at that time, couldn't read. Or write very well. He didn't finish, I believe, high school. But this brother will facilitate literacy by buying the newspaper every single day and then, you know, engage in conversations, whether it be political, sport, you know, you know, faith-based, whatever. Uh, he was, you know, this sort of everyman, right? And and so I realized that there's power in humility, I realized that there's power in community, I realized there's power in intentionality, right? I mean, you think about a haircut, a haircut is a co-creation. It's Uh, someone coming together and understanding the nuances of your head and your texture of your hair. And so I saw this man who um, didn't necessarily have formal, traditional educational clout, who had the capacity to win the hearts of people and to bring conversations together. So it was men like him, men like my dad, men men like my uncle, women as well, of course, in my community, my family, uh, who loved on me and allowed me to know that my value was not just in sport, though I did play sport in elementary and high school, and I did play at a pretty decent level. I played cricket and, and soccer in Bermuda. Um, I would just say this, my claim to fame, the best player on my team went to the MLS. So I did do well, right, um, in the local level. Um, but, you know, I think I was actually pretty gifted in sport, but I, I, I hit some ceilings that now I seek to open up for others in sport and in academia, because it does not feel good when you know you can be great, but you feel like you didn't get there.
0: I've been asking so many people about their coaches, and your discussion of your barber is really interesting to me because so many coaches have said that their coaches they went to that relationship with a specific reason to be a part of a team and to play a game that they love and you just said one goes to a barber there's one purpose a lot of people would think is you would go there just you know to get a haircut but you are describing a much deeper richer thing here and i wouldn't think that someone who just gave you a haircut would fly to a different country to go to one of their clients phd graduation what was it about that relationship that was deeper than that one interaction of a haircut
1: yeah you know um, he saw me through the various stages of my journey he literally gave me my first haircut and he saw me in boyhood he saw me in my teenage years and you know I, I, he, and he was always there right and you know for those of us where you have transients so or just in the vicissitudes of life is beautiful when you have constants. And so he was a constant, he was constantly pleasant. Um, And, and, you know, you know, we have these degrees and these, you know, uh, uh, you know, academic positions and the like, but there are some people who can school us on joy (laughs) and he has joy. I mean, he would teach salsa lessons in his barbershop after work and things. And so uh, I think from him, I've learned over the years how to have joy and even that it's okay not to be perfect, that he was comfortable in his skin and, uh, and he was able to compensate for what he did not know, for example, from an academic standpoint, but he was able to be able to facilitate literacy for others uh, while also learning himself. And so for me, it was this commitment to to being joyful. Um, it was space to be imperfect. But yet, let's keep in mind, the barbershop is also, and the haircut experience is also sort of for us, and, that's, and I want to I be specific, and the, the black barbershop has a very unique culture, where especially for black men, dark skin men like myself, where we grow up not feeling good. You know, when you leave the barbershop like I did today and you got a tight edge and your hair's feeling good, that's probably the closest that we get to perfection, you know, especially growing up where you don't feel like you look good, where you don't feel like you're good looking or you, know, you have questions about your identity or whether you can be accepted. And so every week or every other week, um, he will remind me of that through a hiccup, but also through tangible conversation and a vulnerability where I could sit in this chair. He knew who I was. He knew what I needed. And there are not many people that you're allowed to have a blade up to your neck, right? Or to your face. Uh, and so there's a level of trust that you develop over the years. And he's been a trusting confidant and an unapologetic mentor of mine. That I love dearly.
0: I have mentioned to you that I spend a lot of times most weekends in some sort of gymnasium watching basketball at all ages, everything from little ones up to the, you know, college or professionals. And there are some things I'm biased because it's something I grew up with and I love I love sports. I love basketball in particular. But when I go into those gyms, you know, I see, especially if you're going to see, say, middle school kids or young kids, you see joyful you mentioned joy just a minute ago. You see joyful kids from who are working with other kids they're they're competing they're they're messing up they're failing they're losing but then they're getting through it and they're winning and they're you see a lot of good you know you see a lot of meaning it's clearly meaningful to kids um I see uh, coaches who have relationships with kids across years kind of like what you said I see parents um, who are deeply engaged with their kids in a meaningful way and i and and with other parents and also in gyms you see just people from all walks of life, people from different racial backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, And I see all those as such good things. There are lots of problems. There are lots of problems with sport. I'm wondering, are there aspects of the sporting environment like that, like the gym Mm -hmm. or the barbershop, like you just said, we can learn from in schools and then as, as, as leaders,
1: Absolutely. I mean, y- imagine the joy that you see in the faces of a young person when they run into the basketball court and they're excited. You know, and they don't have to be reminded to remember their book bag uh, or, their, or their gym shoes. You know, like we have to remind our kids about uh, you know, their, their notebook or their like, uh, you know, or something else. It's, there's something special about space. And, you know, you and I, we study space. Right. And uh, I've come to understand that, you know, athletic spaces are sanctuaries. I mean, let's be clear, people. Um, when the Wisconsin Badgers, you know, uh, and the football team, they run onto that field, you know, it's what, 70,000 people. I don't know, you know, uh, maybe more, maybe less, you know, we're in the red, um, and worship happens, (laughs) you know, I mean, you're lifting your hands. I mean, there are specific songs that you sing, you know, um, there are, there's something powerful and there's a communal, uh, commitment and a focus around a common belief in something. It's a very religious experience and those experiences you know smaller or and in between happen in those gyms that you mentioned um whether it be a, a local basketball court or a soccer field or the like and there's much that we can glean from it i mean in, in the field of communication there's a world called homophily and it talks about you know a, a common field of interest that you know when you have something you can establish something in common uh, it allows you to open up communication platforms and connections in other ways. So when I'm in South Africa and I, I may not speak closer, right, but I can pick up a soccer ball, juggle it and, and and type it over to a young man or young woman, you know, we we have homophilia and we begin to have conversation. And I may mention a name like Stephen Pinar, who's a, a former, uh, he's a professional soccer player who played in England for Everton. And all of a sudden that's a man, this guy obviously knows a bit about not just soccer in general, but about the context of where I'm from, you know, a Benny McCarthy is a great South African athlete and instantly we begin to build relationship and connection and there's a language. And so, yeah, sport is powerful and it's a space that I think as teachers and as educators, we need to better harness. I have a belief, I have a theory that I believe that our athletes professional collegiate are probably the most influential. And I would even say, underutilized um, a- a- educators that we have in our world. Uh, I-, I-, I mean, if, if our athletes knew how much they impact our kids and if teachers and administrators were willing to even relinquish some of the power to embrace more holistically um, the influence of not just athletes, but other community-based leaders like Barbara's, you know, uh, like faith-based leaders in our community, like they are educators as well. And so I have a commitment to centering those important voices that bring balance to the educational experience because we need them. And I'll give you an example of, 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 of what that looks like for me. You know, um, so I'm you know, an associate professor at the University of Missouri, but I'm also actively engaged in my community. And, you know, if you ask kids, you know, around they, they see the, a t-shirt that we wear that's connected with a, uh, a church that we had the opportunity to start, or, you know, there, there's there's something about border crossing. I write about border crossing in my work, and I talk about being a border crossing brother. And uh, and I think there's something about moving from space to space where you can bring the the ethos of the Wisconsin Stadium, you know, to a neighborhood in Milwaukee like that. There's something about those connections and building those bridges across the state or me doing the same thing between Columbia, Missouri and Douglas Park, where I often serve or St. Louis or Kansas City. It allows people to recognize that 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 big old stadium, though it may seem far away <laughs> um is closer than they think and that looks like being tangible about going to the spaces and and they say hey you're you're dr ty you're a doctor and i have a young boy he's you know he's 10 or he's eight he's looking me in the eye like you mean that's possible and you you got on jays or you got on harachis like you're a doctor and i'm like yeah and and so can you you can be one too and i passing the ball or i'm sweeping the basketball court off so that they don't fall and hurt themselves you know during the game and so it's those small touches that are very important to help people to realize that their space matters. I'll give you one more example. You know, COVID has impacted uh, some of the things that we're able to do. Uh, this year would have been our seventh annual back to school explosion, and we usually have it at the local basketball court. Sometimes we shut down a local street and we do it, and we've brought in college teams and coaches and try to get the athletes to be able to visit our, uh, our facility on campus. But because of COVID, we weren't able to do it. Unfortunately though, um, there was a shooting at Douglas Park this summer, and it happened while some of the guys were out there hooping. And one of the leaders in the of the community was the guy who got shot. And of course, you know, there wasn't as much participation on the basketball court this summer as a result of the shooting, but also because of COVID. And so while we didn't do our annual back-to-school explosion that we typically do, uh, we did have a moment where we invited that young man, that gentleman, back to the court with his family, and we reclaimed the space you know with him there to literally you know bring him back into you know while invite him if he was he wanted to, he wanted to get back out there and he had got shot in the leg he was a really you know he went you know of course he was excited telling everybody on social media come meet me out there my leg may be hurt but my J is still wet you know and but he met us out there and it was a powerful moment when he when he went back to the spot where he was hit with a bullet and we were able to just cover him and I, i'm not afraid to say even pray over him and to say you know to thank god for his life but to also acknowledge that 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 space is a sanctuary for our community, you know, and it's a historical space for our city as it relates to the black community. And so it's those types of sensitivities that resonate with the heart of people. And, you know, I started off by telling you I'm from Bermuda, and I think that's important because again, I, I don't just study space, but I understand the significance of it, you know, as someone who's from an island that's 21 square miles, I have a sensitivity to space, right? And so I think that's important, like where we come from, impacts how we see things how we experience the world and so from someone who may be listening from wisconsin where you're from a you're used to a large farm and the like that impacts how you engage the world and it's a beautiful thing uh, and for those of us who come from smaller spaces we may see things a little bit differently from the spaces that we come to but when we have homophily and we have things that bring us together it allows us to leverage and utilize those spaces and to realize we have a lot more in common um, than we have that's different i'm often
0: amazed at the breadth of things you do with such passion and commitment. One of the challenges a lot of our coaches talk about is being overwhelmed and burned out huh. in their work. And, and that, you know, you can be, you can, you can coach as many hours of the day as you want and feel like it's not enough. And then often a lot of coaches can, can leave feeling like they're jeopardizing other, aspects of their life being a a parent or a sibling or a a spouse or partner of some kind Um, that's a big question I have to ask you but it's how do you think about that about embracing and living different aspects of your life with passion and purpose and quality yeah
1: yeah that's great that's a great question you know, uh, I know some people talk about work-life balance. I, I like to think of my life as more around using the language of in, uh, integration of, of the various aspects of who I am. I'm, I'm never too far removed from any part of my identity. In fact, I'm, I'm typically the same person, um, maybe just with a slightly different sauce. Let me give you an example, a visual. So, you know, I make a pretty decent spaghetti, um, but it's grounded in like the meat right, that you start with, and you season it up. And I can, once I add the the key ingredients to the sauce, I can use, you know, that same meat to be the, the foundation of spaghetti sauce. Um, or I can use it for if you want to put it on pizza, I can use it if you want it for tacos, I can use it, you know, if you want some type of stew, like it's the same base, and same seasonings. But now I just slightly tweak it depending on who I'm trying to serve. Right. And I think, many of us, you know, we're sort of living bifurcated lives because we're not really fully present um, as we feel like there are aspects of us that we have to leave out. And so I typically try to be authentically me everywhere that I am as a, a border crossing brother, right? I mean, that's not just a language. That's not just a book. That's like, how I live my life. And I pull back on certain things, depending on the audience, you know, as a man of faith, as a Christian, you know, I, I, I I live authentically in that regard, but I don't go in every space and pray um, because I may not be able to, but, but they should be able to feel that there's something different about this guy. Right. And if they're interested or if they ask, then I will respectfully share. Um, I'm a, a father, I'm a husband, obviously, you know, and uh, and And I try to incorporate my kids into everything that I do, you know, so if I'm speaking at a school, I spoke at a school at our Capitol on Monday, I had a videographer there, but my son was there taking pictures, and i I want him to be my videographer in two years you know um you know as a businessman or as a as a pastor now you know I mean these are all things that are still connected to the same base of um uh, of being a bridge builder uh, and providing access. Uh, in the way that I had it, but also in ways that I wish that I had it for others. And so, you know, for coaches who are listening for 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 folks who, you know, you're, you're functioning at a high level. I, I also think we need to be able to give ourselves grace to grow because sometimes we, we, we are doing great work, but we can feel like we're not and, and, and we're almost trying to live up to something in our heads that we can never really reach. It's 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 a standard that that is often created by some of the uh, insecurities of our experiences. I mean, some of the rejection that we've experienced. I mean, Pete, in our world, you know, people may see the the rewards or the uh, awards that we get, but you know, you get more no's than yeses, right? And so we celebrate the yeses, but those no's can have an impact on us over time. And so I think being able to have a strong family, you know, I'm grateful for my 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 wife, uh, who you know is, is 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 a rock for our family as well, and. Um, and, and using that as the foundation for everything else. You know, we talk about in our family, so amazing life today. That's like, that's our motto. That's our, our, our nonprofit, right. But it's also the foundation of our church, which is called salt city church. You get it. Um, you know, I have a business, right. Um, that is, you know, called, you know, uh so, uh, so, amazing life trucking. It's all still connected, right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's that same base and we have the same values, um, that That cross all of that, and so I seek to never be too far from the center of who I am, and I calibrate what aspects of my identity I share or or, or lead with um, as i 'm respectful to the space that i 'm in right and so I think that 's something that every leader can take it 's like you know, who are you, like, authentically? And are you able to be fully you everywhere you go? Because we never really leave ourselves at the door. Like I tell the teachers that I work with, you never leave yourself at the door. But um, but I think we have to account for the implications of what it means to bring ourselves into a space. And sometimes we may just have to be able to calibrate that effectively so that we can be fully present and, and fully ourselves. That distinction between balance and
0: integration, I think that is really very meaningful and useful way to think about this, um, the balance, the balance perspective is one that almost kind of challenges you to cut up the day into hours and to quantify your time in some ways, but this discussion of being more authentic in, in different, in different ways, um, is more meaningful. Um, still very difficult, I'm sure. And, and especially given the nature of a lot of the work you do and a lot of the work that a lot of our coaches do, which is there's a, in the world of coaches, there's a there's a wins and losses um, thing. You know, you have to win, especially the older you get, or not older, but the, the higher level of sport yeah. you get into. Um, but there's also just a lot of highly emotionally charged parts of coaching. You're in deep relationships where people get hurt Um, people get broken. I guess my last question for you, Ty, is when you are broken and the stakes are kind of ramped up. And I'm sure you have been broken or I don't know if that's the right word, but hurt. And you've you've we're living in a time right now where a lot of people are feeling deep hurt and confusion. And where do you go as a as a leader here? I know there's a probably a personal answer, but um, so part of it is that, but um, are there things that our coaches need to think about? But when I am broken,
1: where broken, where do I go? Yeah, I have a, a former student of mine. She, I want to give her credit for. So she she shared this or posted it, but I want to share this with someone who needs to hear this. That you know, broken crayon still color. I want to let that sink in. That broken crayon still color. That there's something. Uh, there's purpose and, uh, and capacity, even in our brokenness, you know, um, you know, there's a lot that comes, um, that, you know, that, that we've experienced in our lives as individuals, as, 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 as leaders, as coaches, um, that can, uh, precipitate, you know, send a brokenness or the experiences that we've had. I think the question becomes where does one find their wholeness, right? If brokenness is a, an issue, um, then the antithesis is wholeness. And so for me, you know, I think of my wholeness as coming from, you know, my faith and um, and my family. I think this COVID context is a a beautiful time where um, a lot of what we've used to um, shroud and uh, sort of, uh, you know, sort of take the edge off of our, 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 our knowledge or, ex- or acknowledgement of our brokenness has been removed. And we've had to ask some pretty... I think basic, but existential questions around, you know, what, what is it that we, who are we? And what is it that we're really doing? Do we really love what we're doing is, are we doing it with the people that we really love? Many people have spent this COVID season in homes or contacts with people that they've realized they may not even know very well. Right. And so this is a beautiful time to be able to embrace the reality that all of us have experienced brokenness or have aspects of us that are in, in, in need of, of repair. And, and so it's a process. I think that's a beautiful journey. It's the journey for some people in faith. You talk about the, the process of a lifetime. Um, and I think we have to celebrate that, that the goal is not perfection. I don't believe the goal is perfection. It can be great. I mean, some people do it, right? But uh, as it relates to like, let's say a sports team, we have a perfect season, for example, whatever, that's fine. But I believe that the commitment to the process is more important than the pro- than, the, than the than the perfection, that if your process is right, then the product will be right. And so for someone who's listening, your leader, your coach, your um, husband, wife, you know, whatever, wherever you are in your journey, I hope that you can take from this conversation, one, that broken crayon and steel color, right? That, you know, there's something you can, you can, you can sketch, you can create, and no one will actually even know that it was created by a broken crayon unless you tell them. <laughs> um, in fact, sometimes it on how you're trying to color. I know you appreciate this, Pete, as I looked at the cool image behind you created by your son, that There are some angles and, you know, sometimes you need a broken crayon, like the the full one with the, you know, shaved off point. That's okay. But a broken crayon sometimes maybe gives you a little edge, come on, right, that you can use uh, to fill in some gaps. And so our brokenness, I believe, is a platform for our purpose. Everything that I've been through, my journey as a, a young man who didn't know my biological father very well, born and raised in Bermuda, you know, but you know, not knowing a biological father who was from St. Louis, Pete, and being born to a 19-year-old college freshman who wanted to get a degree in nursing but chose to have a degree in me and nearly had an abortion. Like, I I have to include that. Like, she was literally at the abortion clinic and she felt me move for the first time and said, I can't do it. That's what undergirds who I am because I recognize, and my mom would tell you as she's now working on her doctorate at my university, that, what she thought was um, the the manifestation of her brokenness in carrying a baby has become the fulfillment for her of a larger purpose that says broken, broken crayon, and steel collar. And I continue to flutter in her life like I did in her stomach that way. And that's something I believe that comes from, from the divine. And so I wasn't even planning to share all that, but I feel maybe somebody needs it to know that, you know, your mistakes are not who you are. Um, I heard um, uh, uh, Brian Stevenson say in a, an interview recently, he's a, uh, a, a lawyer over the Equal Justice Institute, and he talked about his belief in the work that he does, that you know, even a person who has created a crime, that you know committed a crime, uh, uh, whether you're still, whether you're murdered, that's not the sum total of who you are. And I would like to suggest that even our PhD.s and our tenured positions or our administrative or coaching positions, that's not the full context of who we are, our successes or our failures. But we, I believe, are created for a purpose. And the challenges that we face undergird that. And when we can leverage all of that and shift that pain to help somebody else, I believe that it will allow us to not just live integrated lives, but it will allow us to color this world that needs uh, some hope. So uh, be encouraged.